We've been looking together at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first teaching to his disciples and his followers. And he starts off by giving eight blessings. These are the ways you can receive blessing. And then he goes on to describe six kind of weeds in the garden that strangle that blessing. And then he goes on to say these are the things like the fertilizer that you need to put into your life that will help the blessing to grow even stronger. The first one we looked at was giving. He said if you give, then the more you give, or the, the, the heart with which you give, the openness with which you give, because you recognize everything comes from God and you're a channel of God's blessing, therefore, as you give of yourselves in different ways, then God will increase those blessings in your life. And then he carries on and he says these things. The disciples say, teach us, how, how do you pray, God? Jesus, tell us how you pray. And he comes up with these words. I think you might recognize them. So we just pray it together. Let's just close our eyes. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. How many times do you think you've said that in your life? Hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions, I don't know. But Jesus said, this is how we should pray. This is the next area. He said, get your prayer life sorted out. You want to see blessing in your life? Get your prayer life sorted out. This is how you should pray. And when you actually look at it, what he does is he... He splits it into six kind of petitions, six things that he asks of God. First three are directed at God. These are the things that we ask of the Father directed towards him before we start asking about ourselves. Let's look at it. First he says, hallowed our Father who art in heaven. So he, he starts off by saying, firstly it's our Father, we have a relationship with God. And where is God? He's in heaven. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that is high and exalted. He is the all-powerful one. He is the one who can answer your prayer because he is our Father. Now, what are we going to pray? Firstly, hallowed be your name. God, we want your name to be hallowed. Secondly, God, we want your kingdom to come. Thirdly, God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those three are all directed towards God, okay? This is God, this is what we want you to do. Then we turn our attention to ourselves. Lord, give me today what I need, my daily bread. Give me what I need. Lord, forgive the debts as I've forgiven those who will trespass against us. And then, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we ask about ourselves, firstly we ask about our physical lives. Lord, give me my daily bread. Secondly, my relational life. Heal the relationship problems that I might have. Forgive as I forgive. And thirdly, spiritually. 
leading me not into temptation, but delivering me from the evil one. And so we look at ourselves and we, we cover ourselves in prayer, physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually, in our prayers to God. But today I want to just focus on that first one. What does it mean, hallowed be your name? What does that mean? You've said the prayer zillions of times. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean? What are you asking? Praise? Praise be your name? Precious? Precious be your name? Holy be your name? Above all be your name? Well, hallowed means holy. That's what it means. So really we're saying, God, holy be your name. But what does that mean? What is holy? What does it mean to say, God, we want your name to be holy? What does that mean? What is holiness? We sing it all the time. Separate. Different. That's exactly what it means. Somebody said it's like this. Think of it like the sun in our solar system. The sun, you could say, is holy. Why? Because it's different. It's separate. In our solar system, it is unique, right? There is only one sun. Yes? When you look up in the sky, how many suns do you see? Una. One. So the sun is holy. It's holy because it, it gives life, it gives light, it gives heat, sometimes too much heat, so we have to fan ourselves, right? What else? It gives us vitamin D for healthy bodies. The sun is good, right? We couldn't exist without the sun, could we? If the sun wasn't there, we wouldn't be here, right? Because the sun is there, life can exist on the earth. But the sun is unique, it's, it's completely different, there's nothing else like it in our solar system. And so you can say that the sun in our solar system is holy, it's completely unique, it's the source, it's the giver, it's the sustainer of life. Without it, we'll be in trouble. They say that the sun will burn out in so many millions or billions of years, and then we're all going to be extinct. As if that's to get us worried, you know, like we don't quite live that long, so it's not going to worry us too much. But the sun gives, it sustains life, it gives, it's powerful, it's full of goodness, diversity and beauty. Always changing, have you, have you seen pictures of the sun with the solar flares coming out and it's, it's, it's moving and it's, it's just amazing to watch it. But just as the sun does all these amazing things, and we would say the sun is good, right? We can't exist without it. But along with the sun being good, the sun is also dangerous. What happens if we were to get in a spaceship and fly towards the sun and take a closer look? Well, we'd get past the moon and a little bit further, and then what would happen? I don't think those fans would quite be enough, right? If we're out of the sun too much, it's too dangerous. Even now. Right? I 
saw a thing in the, in the papers today about homeless people. They said people living in London, if you see in London, if you see anybody that's homeless, go by them, get them water and get them sunscreen. Because it's really tough being out on the streets when the sun is shining and it's bright for the slum. And you've got nowhere to hide from them. So help them. He said, please, Londoners, help our homeless. It's dangerous. And in the same way, God is like the sun. God is completely unique. He defines holiness. We'll come on to that in a minute. Because he is completely unique. And he's good, but he's also extremely dangerous. Because you can't just walk into God's presence any more than you can just go, hey, this sun looks really attractive. I'm just going to go and take a closer look. Because the, the area around the sun, the, the influence of the sun affects you. And, and the closer you get, the more effect you have, the more intense it becomes. And because we are not like the sun, we can't get too close to it. And because we are not like God, we can't get too close to God. We see that first. Do you know the first passage in the Bible where holiness comes? You know where it is? I'll give you a hint. Exodus chapter 3. You know where God shows up in the burning bush? He's there. God is burning this bush. Moses sees this bush and he goes, that's a bit weird. Like he sees a lot of bushes burning up in the, in the, in the desert area, in the wilderness area, because sometimes it gets so hot and dry and, and just suddenly the flames start to come. But this bush is different because it doesn't burn up. And so he goes over to take a closer look. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, it says in Exodus 3, 4 to 6, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. He says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God's presence is there. And where God is, the surrounding area becomes holy, like the sun. If you go away from the sun, what happens? You get cold. Go towards the sun, you get hotter and hotter. Like, have you been in one of those big bonfires, like Guy Fawkes nights, right? Big bonfire, what happens? There's an optimal distance when it really gets going, where you can stand, right? You get too close, what happens? I got too close when I was a kid one time. My coat started to melt because I was so close to the fire. And literally, the, the fabric just started to, and holes started appearing in my jacket. Now I think I'm slightly too close to this bonfire. I probably look like a Felicia Beacon as well. My face was probably like a traffic light, I think. But there's an optimal distance. You're too far away, you don't feel the heat. But if you're too close, it's too intense. And God says the same thing to Moses. Hey, don't you dare come any closer. You come because you're on holy ground already. Why? Because wherever God is, His holiness radiates from Him. And what is Moses' response to this? He said, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, what does Moses do? He hid his face, 
When you come into the sphere, the presence, the holiness of God, even at a distance, it's too much. And you want to hide your face. You hear, I can't come here. This is not right. I can't come into your presence, God. I can't come here. It's too intense. I need to get away. I need to hide myself. I can't come any closer. It's like I'm too close to the bonfire. Let me get away from here. I can't stand this. That's what the holiness of God does. But there is a problem here, isn't there? Because what we see in Adam and Eve is that God wants a relationship with you and me. He wants you and me to come right into His holiness. He says, come, I want you to be right in with me. But we get there and we go, I can't come into your holiness because you are holy and I'm not holy. Therefore, how can I get anywhere near your holiness? And there's a problem. There's a distance that we have because of our unholiness. Means we can't come. If we were like the sun, we could go and be with the sun. But because we're not, we can't. So what does God do? Well, God raises up a whole nation of people. And he said, these are my special people and I want to be in the midst of them. But I recognize there's a problem. So what do we need to do? We need to make them holy so they can be in my presence. So how does he do that? Well, he sets up a tabernacle, a temple. And in the temple was this place where the holy of holies, where God rested. Right in the middle of the people of Israel. Remember they camped all around? And in the center of them was the tabernacle. And in the middle of the tabernacle, where that bit is, where the, the light is coming down here, where the, the Ark of the Covenant, he said, between the wings of the seraphim on the Ark, my presence will be. And they would see the, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God coming down into the temple, into the, the, uh, the Ark, rather, into the tabernacle. Now, who was allowed in the tabernacle? No, only the high priest once a year. How, how could they live in the presence of God? Well, there's a tremendously exciting book in the Old Testament that tells you how you can live in God's presence. You know what it's called? Leviticus. You love it. It's full of laws. That's why we never read it. But in there are three ways that you live, right? It's just... There are moral laws. This is how we should live with a holy God. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to be to be holy in my presence. And if you're not holy, then there's trouble. And you know all those stories in the Old Testament where people keep dying all the time? You remember when they attack into Ai after they've taken um, uh, Jericho and they go on to the next city? And he says, do away with all the plunder. And there's this one guy who says, no, no, it would be good. Let me take this. So he takes the plunder for himself. He breaks God's moral laws. What happens? They all get destroyed in the battle. What? Why? Why, God? We're, we're a holy people. We're doing what we're living in your presence. What's going on? There's one person that's not holy, which means you're all not holy. Why you lost the battle? Who is it? 
and they divided up by tribes and everything comes to this guy's land and then the ground opens up and swallows them up. Why is it so extreme? Because you can't just walk into God's presence. You can't just go into his holy presence if you're not morally right. Then there were ritual laws as well. There were all the festivals and the feasts and the offerings that had to be given and the guilt offering and the Day of Atonement and there were high priests would, would uh, take two goats every year and one goat was the scapegoat that was sent off with the sins of the people. All the sins that they'd even forgotten about or they didn't know they committed were sent away from the presence of God. And there were all these rituals that would make them holy. And then there was the priesthood. Those that were commanded to lead an even purer life than the life of everybody else. Why? Because they were to serve God closer to his presence in the temple, in the tabernacle. So their lives had to be even more pure than anybody else's life because they would be closer to the very heart of God where his presence was in the Holy of Holies. There's a story in Leviticus chapter 10, I'm sure you know it very well. Uh, what's his name? Nadab and Abihu, two of Aaron's sons. They come into the, to the tabernacle and they offer a feast that shouldn't have been offered. What happens? Dead, straight away. Extreme stuff. Why? Because they're in the presence of the holy God doing unholy things. God said, I didn't tell you to do this. I didn't ask you to do this. Doing this wrong. And you do that in a holy God, you're in trouble. And God had to teach his people over and over and over again how to live in the presence of a holy God. Let's fast forward a bit. About 700 years go by. The people kind of get it and don't get it. Kind of follow it and don't follow it. And then, God changes everything. Isaiah comes on the scene. And when Isaiah begins, before it begins ministry, it says this in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. What did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Jewish language, you repeat something three times. That's the ultimate. God defines what holiness is. God is the definition of what it means to be different. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now Isaiah had grown up in Old Testament times. So what's his reaction going to be when he's ushered into the very presence, the very holy of holies of God, where he sees God seated on the throne? What's going to happen? He's toast, right? He hasn't 
cleansed himself. He hasn't done all the rituals. He hasn't done anything. How can I survive? So what's his reaction? He sees this. He says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the whole temple was filled with smoke. And he calls down a curse on himself. Woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among an unclean people, a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's saying, I'm going to die like all the other people that have died because I've just been taken into the, the very presence of God and I shouldn't be here because I'm unclean. The people I come from are unclean and uncleanness can't stand in the presence of a holy God. So what's going to happen? I've, I've had it. I'm dead. I'm going to die. The ground is going to swallow up and, and swallow me up and open up and swallow me. Or God is going to strike me dead. I'm done. Woe is me. I've had it. But what does God do? Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Let me express it like this. How many of you, when you were younger, used to love to play in mud? There's a sort of certain awesomeness about mud and puddles and dirt, right? I was going to do this, but I, I, I declined. But imagine I was completely covered in mud, right? What would happen? Everywhere I tread, what would be? Mud. I come up and I shake you by the hand. Welcome to church. What would happen to your hand? Mud. I'll shake you by the hand. Welcome to church. Mud. I get my hand and I place it on your beautiful hair. What would happen to your hair? Mud. What happens? Everywhere I go, I spread mud. Tim, great to see you. Mud. Right? Ian could give me a kiss. She's my wife. Mud. Right? Everywhere I go. She'll be going, she'll touch me, right? Put me yourself. This is the problem, you see. In the Old Testament, this is the problem. The problem is that I touch you with my uncleanliness. Not my sinfulness, that's something different, right? My uncleanliness, my ungodliness. I touch you, you become ungodly. All those laws were about it. Don't touch anything to do with death. Because death is ungodly. God brings life. So if I go around touching people and I'm, I'm unclean, what happens? You become unclean. It's not the same as sin. Don't mix the two up, probably. It's something different. But if I'm unclean, you become unclean. And so Isaiah is standing there and saying, Hey, I'm full of mud. How can I be in your presence and I'm like this? I'm going to die. Well, what does God do? God comes and he touches Isaiah. And instead of Isaiah's uncleanliness being transferred to God, God's purity and holiness is transformed, transferred to Isaiah. He takes the 
whole from the altar, from the presence of God, and he touches Isaiah and he says, now you are clean. You see the difference? Everything changes with this passage of scripture. Everything. You get it? He touches him and God's purity transforms Isaiah's impurity. God's holiness transforms Isaiah's unholiness. And Isaiah becomes holy. So he can stand in the presence of God. And when God says to him, who shall I send? Isaiah says, send me. Why? Because I'm now holy. I've been in the presence of God. I can go as your messenger. Because Then he asked me, son of man, do you see this? 
Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river, and he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it enters itself, when it enters into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows from there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglin. There will be places for the spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. You get the picture. So out of the temple comes this water, this stream. And along the banks of this stream, what was once desert, what was once dead, is now coming alive. And the water flows into the Dead Sea where nothing lives, and what was once dead is now transformed by the water that comes out of the very presence. The holiness of God is trickling out, and where it goes, it transforms dead things into life. So there was desert, now there are trees, there was dead water, now it's alive and teeming with fish, and there are birds, and there is everything around it. You get the picture? That's what Ezekiel saw. Now let's come on to Jesus. Hold that picture in your mind a moment. We'll come back to it. Go back to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he went around doing what? Touching people. Everywhere he went, he touched people. He went up to a leper and he touched them. Matthew 8. The leper said, heal me if you're willing. And Jesus reached out his hand and what did he do? He touched the man. And said, I am willing. Be clean. What's Jesus doing? Well, in the Old Testament, if Jesus was to touch a leper, what would happen? The uncleanliness of the leper would come into Jesus. Why are the Pharisees so against Jesus? Because he was going around touching people and making himself unclean. Why would a Pharisee never touch a leper? Because then they couldn't go worship in the temple because they would be unclean. Because they touched someone who was unclean. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is doing what Isaiah happened to Isaiah. He's going over and he's touching people and he's saying, my cleanliness, my holiness is greater than your unholiness and I'm going to touch you. My holiness will cover your unholiness and you will be clean. You will be able to go worship. There will be nothing to stop you from worshipping in the temple. Jesus went around touching the people that you shouldn't touch and saying to them, now you're going to be clean. My purity, my holiness, the holiness of God is going to come through me and cover you. You get it? That's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, that's why he touched people that he wasn't supposed to touch. Now it goes even further. What about you and me? What did Jesus say? 
said, on the last and greatest day of the festival, John 7, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, what's going to come out of you? Rivers of water, living water. Where do you find rivers of living water? Ezekiel's temple. Where there was death, where there was desert, where there was unholiness. What's going to come out of you and me? Life. Streams of living water through the Holy Spirit. They're going to pour out of you and me to transform unholiness into holiness. Jesus said it would do even greater things than me. I'm going to send you out. And you'll do the same things that I've been doing. You'll do even greater because I'm going to the Father and you're going to go everywhere and carry on doing it. God wants you and me, Jesus wants you and me to allow the streams of living water to flow through the Holy Spirit. In Corinthians it says this, don't you know that you yourselves are what? God's temple. Where's the Holy of Holies? God's temple. Who's God's temple today? Not in Jerusalem. Where is it? It's in us. You have the Holy of Holies inside of you. The Shekinah glory of God should be pouring down upon us. His presence is there. John chapter 1, he says, I'm going to pitch my tent inside of you. I'm going to take up residence within you. And you will allow that to flow out of you. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. We're temples of the Spirit of God. You get what I'm saying? He said, go out into the places where they offer peace, where the peace, let it rest there. If they receive it, if they don't move on. Then he says at the end of this, look at this. Wherever you enter a town and a welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Why? Why is the kingdom of God come near? Because the kingdom of God is in you and in me. When you go into someone's house, when you go into someone's home, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the channel of life-giving water. Your very presence brings the kingdom of God near to you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Wherever you go, the kingdom of God is going to come near to these people because it is in you. Now, did they understand everything? No. Did they really know what was going on? No. But what? They went anyway. And wherever they went, and they came back afterwards and they said, it's amazing, Jesus, the things that we saw. Why? Because they allowed the life-giving water. They allowed the Spirit to flow through them. They allowed the kingdom to come in the places where it was welcomed. And they saw the transformational nature of the kingdom of God. How do you hallow God? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What are we saying? First of all, we're saying, God, 
Thank you. 